Hi, welcome everyone to episode 14 of the Citizen's Guide. Uh, so excited that you're listening. Hopefully you're listening to this um, either the day before the election or the day of the election. Uh, busy show today. We're going to talk about a recent Texas Supreme Court ruling on voting procedure in Texas. We're going to talk about the president's constant attacks on the legitimacy of the election. Uh, what the final polls are telling us about what to expect on Tuesday, uh, where the candidates are in the final stretch of the campaign. And then finally, we're just going to kind of take a look back at the last three months and kind of see kind of see how we got here, how we got to uh, today's Sunday, November 1st. The election is Tuesday, November 3rd. Um, so it's been a it's been a hectic three months to, to have a podcast, but we're going to we're just going to look back a little bit. Um, so, Connor, first things first, let's talk about Texas, as we always enjoy doing. Tell us a little bit about um, the ruling from the Supreme Court there uh, on drive-in voting. Yes, so Texas Supreme Court ruled an effort made by Republicans to invalidate more than 100,000 ballots cast at drive through locations in Harris County um, ruled against that effort. The lawsuit contended that these sites were operated illegally and placed in locations that favored Democrats. Yet the system was put in place for the first time this year by Chris Hollins, the Harris County clerk, with unanimous approval by county commissioners after being tested in a pilot program this summer. Um, again, like it's kind of scary that this is the first, not the first th- sign of the, not the first sign of this election that Republicans are not only like suppressing the vote, but blatantly and actively doing so in these these states that that they need to win. Right. Republicans seem to see the court system, both state level and federal, as a remedy for their own electoral incompetence. And I was I was happy to see this ruling from the court. I think it was appropriate. Um, Drive in voting seems very logical, especially in a pandemic. It's safe. you know, people who have trouble like standing in a long line or like standing in general. Um, this is such a such a good way to do it. Um, we should note Harris County, that's the city of Houston. Um, it's a, just a massive opportunity for Democrats to uh, really rack up some votes in the state of Texas. And they've seen massive voter turnout um, in the last few weeks. I have a quote from Susan Hayes, who is an attorney for, the, for Harris County. She said, quote, it's nuts, votes should count. Um, hard to disagree with that statement. Um, I, I also believe that votes should count. Um, and yeah, so this is all just in light of Texas, like we've talked about in past episodes, just being like very much viewed as a battleground. Um, and I think we should just keep expecting these court challenges, especially from Republicans, because they don't want every vote to count. They, they know that they do worse when more voters show up, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure um, that as few votes get counted as possible. And that's not like to be discouraged about voting, but it's just to be honest about kind of the, what Democrats are up against in this election. Um, and I think I want to talk about this a little bit, Connor, if you don't mind. Um, Texas more generally, we're seeing that because like the media is starting to view it as a battleground state, you're seeing massive turnout. And I wonder if you think that like we should start trying to consider more states as battlegrounds in order to excite that turnout. What do you think about that? I think that's like the, the, the best way to look at it. Um, you have these booming metro areas that are now switching from Republican to Democrat in droves. You have 
young young residents moving into these cities, turning them blue. And this is a phenomenon you're seeing, especially in the Sun Belt and especially in the South, like Texas. That's why Georgia's competitive, North Carolina. Um, I mean, it's not hard to imagine a, a scenario where you see media focus on Tennessee in some, some future that Nashville's booming, Memphis is booming, Chattanooga, Knoxville as a college town. Like these are areas where a majority of Tennesseans live and the trends we're seeing in Georgia and Texas that, that could hold true for Tennessee in a couple of cycles if it was given the, the status of a battleground state. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the media isn't like to blame yeah. for that. Like generally, no. I think, I think if, if like the party would kind of look back to like a 50 state state strategy, like what they did kind of in the earlier two thousands, uh, I just think it's really valuable. And I think Texas is kind of a case study in how a state can go from like being just very reliably red um, to being very much purple in just a matter of a few election cycles. So I think there's yeah. a lot of excitement. I'm excited about Texas. I don't have any predictions for Texas but I'm glad that a ton of people have turned out to vote. Um, Voter turnout has been just astronomical in Texas that it's, it's so hard to just sort of pinpoint anything from that, like extrapolate who's doing better, who's, who does it benefit because both campaigns have never seen Texas as competitive. So there's no resources, no, no ground structure in place to sort of like map out, mm -hmm. like map out all this, it's like turnout we're getting. Right. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. I do think the Biden campaign is lucky because they get to kind of walk into the framework that was built by um, Beto O'Rourke um, in 2018. And I was actually, of course, on Twitter before we started recording. And I saw two maps. And the first map was uh, a county by county breakdown of Texas. And it had the O'Rourke cruise race. Um, and like, you know, which places were best for O'Rourke. They're mainly in like, the eastern part of the state and then like the western part of the state and then like the central part of the state's very red and then it was like a map like a like a today map of voter turnout and voter turnout is highest in places where o'rourke was strongest and that's exceeding 100 percent in some places yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and so i think i'm taking some hope in that in assuming that these people who were activated by the o'rourke campaign in 2018 for senate are still activated two years later and potentially those numbers will have grown enough to make Texas like an incredibly competitive state um, on Tuesday. Um, that, I just saw that before we started recording, thought I would mention it. Um, I was very excited. And I guess it would have something to do with what we later talk about, but just the sort of events we're seeing of Republican voter suppression is nothing new to the party itself. It may seem like it's getting a lot of attention because Trump is encouraging it, but I would just like to point back to the 1980s when Paul Weyrick, Rywich, a leader of the modern conservative movement said at a group of religious leaders, I don't want everybody to vote. As a matter of fact, our leverage in elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. And then additionally, <clears throat> you had Republican voter intimidation targeting black people so, so constantly that they were banned from it. The Supreme Court ruled that they were not allowed to voter intimidate and that was upheld <clears throat> um that was upheld since 1982 but it expired in 2018 meaning that republicans are now allowed to intimidate as without abandon right there was yeah i think what you're talking about is the consent decree that was 
um, in place against the Republican Party nationally. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, where they weren't allowed to have like um, it, like intimidating pre- like an intimidating presence at polls, and a judge allowed it to expire um, because it had been working. And it just it's ridiculous that that expired. Um, it- it wasn't the Supreme Court, sorry, a federal court barred the National Party from engaging in any so-called anti-voter fraud operations. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, same same thing still stands. Um, it's. I think this is the first election without the consent decree. Or... It is. Okay. It expired in 2018. Okay, so that's just horrifying. Um, but, but I think, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just built into the party apparatus for Republicans to try to scare people away from voting, especially um, people of minority groups that are probably already distrustful of institutions in this country um, for good reason. And I'm, I'm interested to watch that and see how, see how that um, potentially affects turnouts, especially in like really anecdotal places like, like Kenosha, Wisconsin, or like places like that, where we've seen like hyper like media attention and like the president's been there to rally and things like that. Like, I'm just interested to watch how all of those things come together. Um, okay, next thing. The president has spent um, recent weeks, but also the last four, five, six years, um, sowing a lot of distrust and disinformation um, about the American electoral system. He continues to do that every day through Twitter, at his rallies, at his super spreader rallies. Um, and, and to kind of take us back to when it all started, um, right after he was elected, um, before he was inaugurated, um, he falsely claimed that millions of voters in the state of California had voted illegally, and therefore he won the popular vote. So this is already a man who just can't accept fact. Everyone, we already know that. Um, but now kind of more recently on Sunday, uh, while he was in Iowa at a rally, the president said, quote, we should know the results of the election on November 3rd, the evening of November 3rd. That's the way it's been, and that's the way it should be. Um, that's not the way it's been, and nothing says that's the way it should be. Connor, what do you think about him um, really pushing for results to be like finalized, I guess, on Tuesday night? Um, it just noted for listeners, uh, results don't get finalized until like the middle of December when the electoral college actually meets in all the state capitals. And then again, like the second week of January, I think when a joint session of Congress actually like tallies the results. So it's a very long, like antiquated process. But what do you think about why, why is he doing this? Because he knows he's losing. He's seeing the same polls we are. We'll talk about later, but like he, he's losing and he's, he's dragging down the Republican party at, at the federal level, at at the the Senate level, at local levels, he is dragging Republicans down, and he knows that the only way he can win is that is to discourage people from voting into thinking that their vote won't count. That's 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 the game plan now is to make sure that people feel so discouraged that he will steal this election somehow that they shouldn't even vote. That's that's it because he's he's so desperate and he's he's losing he's the polls show he's losing um not a brilliant strategy but a a strategy he would do yes of course yeah no that's exactly right i i think i think i totally agree with that um and then this is all kind of 
happening while states are experiencing massive increases in vote by mail, especially states um, kind of in the Rust Belt, so uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, up there, where there isn't like a super long history of vote by mail, like there is, say, in like Colorado, Utah, places out west. Um, but like Pennsylvania alone is expecting 10 times the number of mail-in ballots compared to 2016, which is obviously um, a massive increase in just, I, I just don't know how prepared they are to count them super quickly. Um, and then I guess just kind of a note to listeners, we'll talk about this later, but on election night, it will not be surprising if Trump is like very much ahead in some of these states because they wait till election day to start counting mail-in ballots. It can take longer for those results to become available. And this year, it seems that Democrats are more likely to vote by mail than Republicans. So like if like at like 8 p.m. on election night, it's like Trump's ahead in Pennsylvania. Like don't, don't let that stress you out too much because like those mail-in ballots will have to be counted. Um, yeah. Do you have anything yeah, to like, add to that part, Connor? The president and then the media, I guess, as adjacent is trying to spin this sort of narrative that that election night is a definitive like result. We like it's just not how that works. Like not even last year, it was after midnight that results started to come in where where the, the New York Times needle started going the other way. <laughs> right. Um yeah, in so 2016, this, you mean that? This I wish that was last year, but no, yeah, it's yeah. been four years. <laughs> well, like this isn't an instantaneous process. Fifty some odd million people are voting. Well, more than that. More but, than that. Hopefully, more. Yeah, than that. hopefully more than that. But <laughs> like this, we have systems and institutions in place to make sure votes get counted. But Trump doesn't want to do that because he knows that it will not favor him. Yeah. Yeah. Also, listeners, we're recording this at like 8 p.m. at night, so we're we're not as fresh as we always are when we record. So just bear with us, and we'll we'll keep doing our best. Um, but yes, yeah, so I I'm I I think it was 5:38 that put this out, but it they basically just said you win an election when you're ahead, when all the votes are counted. That's how an election works. It's not like at the you know when when it hits midnight, whoever's ahead then gets to gets to move into the White House. It's whoever's ahead in the right states um, when every single vote is counted. And yeah, I mean, it's predictable that he would behave this way. Also very frightening, in my opinion, that he's behaving this way and that Republican um, leadership, again, not surprising, but they're not like doing anything to like defend the integrity of the electoral process. Um, maybe they're Shocking. just so so addicted to the power that they've been given by a minority uh, population in this country um, that they just can't keep their greedy little paws from, from just- Martha McSally is gonna have to like wait for another meal. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a little bit of sympathy for Martha McSally. She was just very embarrassed by the president at a rally in Arizona. Um, so cut her some slack cause she's about to have to, to wrap it up and move home, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a disgusting way for a, uh, for a president to treat our system. Um, so moving from that, Connor, let's talk about the polls a little bit. I think we've got some good news for people who um, would like to see a different president in office. So the final round of polls came this weekend and the president is running out of time to swing support his way 
and needs to hope for an even larger error that occurred in the 2016 polling. Not only is Biden leading by over five points in the states Hillary lost, he's maintained a one to two point lead in states such as North Carolina, Arizona, and Georgia. Um, do you want to throw some water on that? Do you want to bring everyone back I, down to earth? Yeah, well, I would I would point out the uh, Des Moines Register and Seltzer poll that had um, Biden losing Iowa and also Teresa Greenfield losing in Iowa in that Senate race against Joni Ernst. Um, we, we don't need Iowa, but that's a poll that I'm, I'm not super happy about. Um, but no, I, you know, they're just numbers and people are actually going to have to keep voting to make it happen. Um, but I'm hopeful. I, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of water to throw on it, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like, like every week, I'd rather be in this position than in Trump's position where you're having to defend and spend money in Georgia and Texas rather than fighting out in Pennsylvania. Right. Um, no, it's, you're right. You know, you're right. The The Democrats are looking at a very expansive map where the Republicans are looking at an increasingly small um, path to victory. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is just how steady this race has been. And I think that's kind of obvious to everyone, um, especially if they've been listening to us because we talk about it a lot. But according to CNN, Biden's advantage is the steadiest of any race, including an incumbent, since at least 1944. So if you think back to every time a president has been reelected, um it's never been this steady um so that's exciting um biden has has managed to make some history there um point out biden has an 89 percent chance of winning donald trump 10 percent, according to 538 scary because one in 10 is still far too often in my opinion um and then just some more stats i guess from 538 um if you like put together the electoral college and you only count states where a candidate leads by three points or more, Biden wins with 291 electoral votes. If the electoral votes translate perfectly, no, if, let me get the poll right. results. If poll results translate perfectly to electoral college results, Biden would win with 351 electoral votes. And if electoral votes are apportioned as if the state polls are as wrong as they were in 2016, Biden would win with 335. So all of those things make me very optimistic because in each of those scenarios, Biden is winning by a healthy margin. Um, what do you have any any comment on that, Connor? I that's like a weird way to express the data, but to me, like to me, it makes sense. No, and it makes sense that this this is a strong strong race Biden has run both as a candidate and also as the antithesis of what the incumbent is and stands for. Um, and just the vitriol that Trump has just spewed into the electorate and has divided it so so thoroughly. So it's, it's not surprising that Biden's maintained this, this healthy lead. I, I worry at this point, if I, if I can worry, um, <laughs> that the leads are so the, the momentum or, or, or the polling is so strong for Biden in these scenarios that, that it would push Trump into a corner of desperation to, to, to do some shenanigans, but I don't, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think he's capable of pulling off an electoral heist with Don Jr. and Eric at the helm. Yeah, and um, I'm usually not like the biggest fan of like decentralized systems, I guess, but 
elections are run at the county level in this country um so it's like it would be incredibly difficult um for the federal government to intervene um very much i think and yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) no you're you're right and 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 the whole strategy now in the final days of the election is for Trump to discourage people from thinking their vote matters because he's won it anyways. He, he dismissed a report that claimed he would claim no matter what on Tuesday that he had won the race, even, even as votes were still being counted. But um, Which we'll we should fully expect him to do. I would say yeah. sometime Tuesday before midnight, he'll give, an, he'll give like an acceptance speech. And or, like it, it won't yeah. matter what's going on. Um, no. So just like watch out for that and just know that the concession speech like isn't some like binding like thing. So like not that Joe Biden's going to concede on Tuesday night, God willing. Um, but yeah, just like expect the president to tell like speak as if he has won the election while millions of votes remain uncounted. Um, we just haven't really been in this position before um, with an incumbent president basically saying he's not... Um, looking to start packing up the White House anytime soon. Um, But one one quote from the New York Times that stood out to me about the polls, Connor, uh, they wrote, quote, Mr. Biden is clearly ahead in the Clinton states, uh, Nebraska's second district, and Michigan and Wisconsin. That puts him at 259 electoral votes or one Arizona or larger sized battleground away from the presidency. Pennsylvania is the best option for Mr. Biden. Um, That made me hopeful because one state um, is what it could come down to. I'm not going to give a prediction, but I am hopeful that he wins by more than one state because uh, the, the greater anybody's margin is, the more definitive the results are. You know, uh, an election- And, and the larger de- the mandate. Exa- exactly. The, an election can be decided by one vote, but it's, it's probably better if it's decided by several million votes. Um, just yeah to, not 10,000 people up in Wisconsin right, right. <laughs> just to maintain like the legitimacy that that's required in our in our system um, anything else about the polls that drew your attention it's I was I was watching the news earlier and it at this point it's the just, news is there is no news it's yeah it's, and the polls it's shocking how we're so close that the polls are starting to become irrelevant mm-hmm. and they're just kind of fun facts to share because in yep. what 48 hours we're going to be looking at exit polls um and like polls are going to be closing and we'll be looking at results and like maps that are changing colors very quickly and, and Blitzer. Ca- countdowns yeah we're going to see steve kornacki like slamming his hands on like whiteboards um looking forward to it um Okay, so Connor, next next section, um, I, I kind of did some schedule research of where the candidates are going to be um, in the coming two days. Field so, organizer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I had to go to like the Trump campaign website, which was a, that's down a rabbit hole. Um, so on Monday, Mike Pence is going to be in Pennsylvania. Donald Trump will be in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, not simultaneously. Someone's getting his steroid shots. <laughs> yeah. Gee, that sounds like a miserable day to me. But, uh, and then uh, on the Democratic side, Joe Biden will be in Ohio and Pennsylvania. President Barack Obama will be in Florida and Georgia. Kamala Harris will be in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and North Carolina. So there's a common state 
amongst all of those schedules and it's the state of Pennsylvania. Um, so that's kind of what we've been saying. North Carolina also shows up a few times, I would add. Um, but, and then on, I couldn't figure out where they were gonna be Tuesday, like during the day. I assume they'll be in these states potentially still or just hanging out. But Jenny. Tuesday night, um, the president is, they were gonna do a big party at Mar-a-Lago. They're gonna do that, but he won't be there. Then they were gonna do something at the Trump DC hotel but DC has like a 50 person limit on in-person gatherings and they don't want to like mess that up. I guess they don't really care. They just don't want to be embarrassed by like don't care. the mayor of DC. Um, so now they're thinking he's going to watch the results at the white house, um, which I think is typical of incumbent presidents to do that. Um, but I'm sure he's going to turn it into a party and a bunch of people are going to get COVID and some people are going to end up in the hospital and then the Biden ticket. So uh, Vice President Biden, his wife Jill, uh, Kamala, and her husband Doug will be in Wilmington, Delaware, which is where they accepted the nomination um, officially back in August. Uh, they'll be there with their close family, um, being safe, I hope, um, just chilling out for the day. They need a break. Snacking uh, on some ice cream. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Connor, do you have any thoughts about any of these states that these folks are visiting? Uh, I know we talked about, I think it was last week, Pennsylvania, North Carolina kind of being our, our big focus states. And it looks like they took our advice on that. Um, I'm glad they were listening. I'm, <laughs> glad, I'm glad Doug was watching. Was yeah, listening. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's the in. Um, no, yeah, I, I still stand by the fact that Trump's reelection hinges on him winning Pennsylvania. Yeah, like that's that's the win-all state for him. If he wins that, then then Biden's chances get narrower, and Trump's chances get a lot larger. But it's not over. Biden's with chances don't. Yeah, Biden's chances don't disappear. Don't don't disappear. But but sleep easy. <laughs> if there's big margins on Tuesday, but there won't be. Yeah, because, there won't be because the mail-in ballots so, won't be counted. So we'll just oh. have just elevated blood pressure the whole week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but what are your thoughts on the North Carolina? Um, I'm thrilled to see them going to North Carolina. I'm feeling just, once again, very bullish on North Carolina. Um, I'm very excited to see Barack Obama going to Florida and Georgia because Georgia is also kind of in my back pocket because um, Obama's Georgia's obviously- there if we need it. Yeah, obviously such a good surrogate for this for this campaign, especially just he's just able to speak to the moment really well, I feel. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to see the focus on Georgia Kamala Harris also going to Georgia. Um, it's serious. I think the Biden campaign is probably looking at internal polls that tell a similar story to what we see, but they might be seeing things that we aren't. And and we won't know that till till it's over. Um, but I'm I think. Yeah, I think I think the Biden ticket Expansive has done a good map. job. Exactly, exactly. And you know, Donald Trump doing his like four or five state tour—that's fine. I don't. I think a lot of people will get sick from those events, um, and and that'll be that. I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't go to one, and I just don't know at this point if he's really bringing more voters into the equation or if it's people who were diehard Trump supporters in 2016 and are diehard Trump supporters in 2020 and they will be for the rest of their lives. Um, I don't know. I don't, I just don't see him expanding his coalition um, beyond, beyond four years ago. No, no, not, not in the cards looking at the polling. Looking at the poll and um, it could be wrong. It could be could wrong. 
but it but, needs to be a lot worse. Yes, it would have to be a lot more wrong in 2016 to uh, give the president the re-election he is seeking. Um, okay, Connor, now I wanted to reflect on just some, some data points. We have now been doing this podcast since I think I looked like August 3rd was our first podcast. 14 weeks. Yeah, 14. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, episode <laughs> yeah. 14. Yeah. Um, so on August 3rd, um, approximately 154,860 Americans had died from coronavirus. And as of today, November 1st, 231,000 Americans have died. And we're looking at um, hundreds of thousands more before the end of the winter. Um, and then also today, the unemployment rate in this country is 7.9%. And that's compared to 4.7% in January of 2017, when Donald Trump took office. Connor, just on these two data points, um, the president has failed uh, to, to do his job. Do you, do you have any more, like those, those were my two big reflections from like kind of the beginning of his presidency, but then also like the beginning of us doing this. And then like today, like two days before election day, um, what, what do you have? What do you think? I, Donald Trump is, is, is incapable of rising to a national crisis or meeting the country where it needs to be that scene devastatingly in his handling of the coronavirus pandemic it's seen even worse with the lives lost and the jobs lost and the families just broken apart by the economic hardships caused by his inaction um it's it's disgusting really it's it's so so cold and so 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 donald trump to just refuse to be able to become the leader that that people thought he could be yeah like yeah and, no, and it, he failed because he 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 can't he 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 wouldn't he wouldn't been able to do anything in this situation because he's never had to do anything hard not only in his life but even since he got in office he faced no no national challenge no 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 moment where he needed to be president until now and that is so sad because yeah. we were almost done <laughs> yeah yeah i think and i think gosh to kind of reminisce on election night four years ago um it the question really was when will something terrible happen and a lot of terrible things did happen he instituted a ban on yeah. muslim people coming into this country he poured um untold uh amounts of money into a border wall that has yet to appear he has he's lost children and parents yeah hundreds of children are now without their parents children have died in the custody of the federal government he has destroyed our reputation abroad he has he has shaken the foundations of this country um by being so inept at his job and and i just hope people can see that because i don't and i don't even want to talk about this on this episode i cannot imagine four more years of of what we've been through and and I don't think the country can imagine or or brace for that kind of impact. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 14 weeks is such a long time for just so much devastation to have occurred. Yeah, yeah we've done we've done a ton of news in 14 weeks. Um, yeah. 
and excited to keep going after but man hopefully yeah. we'll be doing some more like policy related stuff and not just like what crazy thing did the president do or say any given day oh. um so connor kind of along with this section and i know this episode has been um kind of wonky just it's it's really hard to move beyond the scope of the election right now um again mm -hmm. with 48 hours left um so next week's will be hopefully more normal and then hopefully uh, we know who won next hey, week. fingers crossed if not who knows i yeah i i think we're gonna know i think we're gonna know in the next few days um but i just wanted to talk about kind of what you and i specifically will be watching on tuesday night and other than pennsylvania of course um but for me i kind of went through the brookings institute put together kind of a checklist of things to be looking for and like when to look for them so i'll kind of go through mine and then you can you can talk about kind of what you'll be looking for um one thing just easy quick right off the bat certain states you can just go ahead and assume um are gonna are gonna go either um you know one way or the other california is going to vote for Joe Biden. New York is going to vote for Joe Biden. And then alternatively, you know, states like South Dakota, North Dakota, Oklahoma are going to vote for Donald Trump. Those, one those thing, 12 electoral votes. Yeah, yeah those handful. Um, one thing to look for in those states is margins. So if you want to look at, you know, Donald Trump's 2016 margins in those states and say he's underperforming, he's overperforming, whatever, same for Joe Biden in the blue states. If he's underperforming Hillary Clinton in California, probably not a good thing. California's on the West Coast, though, so we're not going to see their results till late. So I wouldn't wait up. I'd look at New York's margins and then probably go to bed. Um, and you want to look at turnout in certain states. So huh, if you're a Democrat, high turnout's good. If you're a Republican... I I don't know. It's too it's many not. too many minorities are voting for them. Yeah, too, yeah, you're probably not thrilled with the numbers out of Texas. Um, and then exit polls will start to be released by the big cable networks um, at like 6 p.m. Eastern time. So that's 5 p.m. Central time, which is horrifyingly early in the night to start looking at exit polls. Um, but one thing to watch for with that is for Biden to be doing well with suburban voters, older voters, independent voters, and college-educated white voters. If he's overperforming Hillary Clinton's margins with those groups, he's probably going to have a really good night. If he's underperforming with any of those groups, um, specifically suburban voters and independents, I would be watching. If he underperforms college-educated whites, I'll be shocked, but that wouldn't be like groundbreaking i don't think um, i'm not expecting it at all but i would i'm much more watching like suburban older and independent voters um, for some good news um a couple more things the difference between too close to call and too early to call if like i sit and watch um like nbc or msnbc whatever on election night and as soon as oh, polls yeah. close yeah 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 um as soon as polls close you know they'll either say it's too close to call which means the margins are really tight or it's too early to call which means there simply isn't enough data available to call it so just be mindful of the difference between those two things and they'll um, keep repeating too early to call until they call yes. it so yes yeah yeah they like to keep saying that a lot mm -hmm. like pennsylvania could yeah. be too early to call all night like it just might never like it might be the next day before it moves out. Real of Iowa, real Democratic Iowa caucus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a throwback. But yeah. Huh. Um, uh, polls closing most of Florida at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, so that's pretty early. Um, if Biden manages to do well in Florida, um, 
I'll say it. Go to bed. It's it's ninety nine percent over if Biden does well in Florida, and by do well, I mean win. Um, and then North Carolina polls close at seven thirty Eastern time. Same thing. If Biden looks to be doing well in North Carolina, pack it up because it's it's over at that point. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, I'm not gonna say hundred percent. Um, and then all of this to say there will be smart people that are able to predict what's going to happen based on the data that starts coming out Tuesday night. Um, not it won't be Don Jr. and won't be Eric. Yeah, and I wouldn't Don't look, I wouldn't look to, to the White House press secretary for that information. Um, but so just be, just, just try to stay grounded, I guess, that night. And I'm kind of projecting this so that I can listen to this later and take my own advice, I guess. Um, but just stay grind, grounded, like, like breathe, like, do, do what you need to do to not be stressed about it. I know um, a lot of our listeners are super engaged in this and it's it's going to be really a really challenging um, couple of days. Um, but Connor, enough from me. What are you what are you watching? What are you doing? What's happening? You like you. I was watching the early returns, the the cross tabs, if you will, for all my stat fans out there. Um, um, particularly to get super specific. I would be watching the the returns happening on in the the area of Florida known as the Villages, the largest retirement community in the world. Right now, Biden is actually the blowing. state of Florida is the largest retirement community in the world. Hey, <laughs> um, Biden is blowing Trump's margins for for seniors. Um, I think there's a 16 point swing to Biden since 2016. So, and most of the people who live in the villages have done early in-person voting or absentee voting. So if Biden has is doing well in Sumter County of Florida, then it looks really well for him, for the state at whole. So that's, that's, that's a guiding star early in the night. That's, that's what I'll be looking to because I could breathe a lot easier if he's doing better but he doesn't need to win that one section of old voters Florida, <laughs> to win in Florida. Right. But his margins, like, like you said, his margins become a lot larger if he does. Um, yeah, that's, that's really it. Cause no, that's we won't good. know Pennsylvania. We won't know yeah. Texas. There's a lot, lot in the air. Um, mm-hmm. For better or for worse. Yeah, you just got to buckle in for a long night and a long next day and probably a long week. Um, and that, yeah, that I stinks, just, but just prepare yourself now because, yeah, this isn't so, going to be 2016 where it's called, you know, I don't think. If it's close, it's not going to be called early. It can't no. Be. Only, yeah, Michigan and Pennsylvania say official counts may take several days. The Secretary of State of Pennsylvania said it may be until November 6th till they know the full results. Um, only eight states expect to have at least 90% of, 98% of official votes reported by noon the day after the election. Mm. And those states are probably small and insignificant in the electoral college points. Yeah. Oh, so this, this isn't a... We, sprint through november 2nd but and then it's a marathon after that to yeah yeah to get every vote counted because like i know you've sort of mentioned this but the president doesn't declare who's the winner the, right the the challenger doesn't declare who's the winner 
the government doesn't declare who's the winner. It's it's the AP, it's writers, it's mm-hmm. it's it's officials who 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 make these projections and make right. these calls. So don't right. independent media um, sources for election night, and then um, God forbid a tie or any other kind of disaster. Um, but then Congress gets involved, and hey, maybe that's the topic of next week's episode. <laughs> don't manifest it don't manifest it <laughs> no no I'm and that's, that's i don't want that to margin <laughs> no so look to your ap look to your reuters to call make those decisions cnn they are all accredited to make these projections too close too early um yeah, yeah. and they Just have don't they believe have the president shockingly <laughs> yeah they've committed this year to being even more careful because of like the civil unrest that could potentially take place, like the just a a, a bit of a crisis that could that could take place um, if people start to really question um, the freeness, the fairness of the election. Um, well, that's heavy stuff. Um, okay, Connor. Unless you have something else, it is time for news too dumb to be true. So. Headline from Newsweek, quote, logistical nightmare. Pennsylvania Trump supporters left stranded waiting for buses after president's rally. And it's a quote from the article, quote, President Donald Trump supporters waited roughly two hours for shuttle buses to transport them back to their cars on Saturday night following an evening campaign rally that took place at an airport in Butler, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. Um, It was 41 degrees outside. And this is like very similar to something that happened last week in Nebraska, where several attendees were hospitalized um, because it was so cold outside. And then I think in Florida this weekend, it was so hot that people were passing out. So you don't just get COVID when you go to a Trump rally, you also um, have some temperature related issues as well. And it just doesn't seem worth it. Like he just- It's almost like the president doesn't care about his own supporters. Yeah, well, and I, I don't know, I haven't verified this. I saw on Twitter that the reason they need the shuttles is because the president and his staff don't like looking at the cars his supporters drive. Um, because a lot of these people are um, like working class voters. Like they're not showing up in like, you know, like the brand new cars that I'm sure the president likes and I'm sure that his like children drive. He likes um, the big so- 18 wheelers. Yeah, he likes, yeah, he likes to play with them. Um, but that should just be offensive to anyone listening who isn't a millionaire, I guess, um, that the president is too good to look at the cars that Americans drive. Um, and it resulted in people um, being hospitalized. Um, so that was dumb. It's true. So that's news too dumb to be true. Uh, do you have anything for that this week, Connor? Dumb, yes. Scary, also, yes. Uh, when the Biden-Harris bus in Texas was being corralled off the freeway by a Trump truck caravan. Mm-hmm. Um, there's videos of this, these trucks trying to force a Biden-Harris campaign bus off the highway. Um, and then it led to them canceling two events later in Texas. Um, and the president cheered it on. Surprise, yep. surprise. Um, Dumb and now the, yeah, as of tonight, the FBI has opened an investigation into it. Um, yeah. Like you can't, that's just like not how politics works in this country. That's so dangerous. Um, that's just beyond the pale of anything that's reasonable. And it's not new. Um, 
I mean, when Obama, when President Obama was elected, people acted horribly about that. Um, and people acted horribly about Trump getting elected, but that's different. So <laughs> um, nobody's tried to run his vehicle off the road. Um, yeah, no, that, that was a scary story to watch. Um, and I think a staffer was driving like behind the bus and they, they actually were like involved in like a bit of a like car wreck over it. Um, anyway, ugh, all bad news this week, just, just stress. I think it's just stressful news. Um, so now my recommendation for the week, win, lose or draw, just take care of yourself. And again, this is advice for myself, but like anyone who's listening is probably going to sit and watch the results for a really long time on Tuesday. And if we get, if we get a winner that day, that'll be great. Um, easier to sleep. Maybe um, if not, if it's drawn out, limit, limit your exposure um, to social media. It's, it's going to be horrible um, for several weeks, no matter who wins and just, yeah, just take care of yourself. Just find small things in your day um to to be to be distracted by that that's not that's not twitter or facebook or, or whatever social media you use um find time to just appreciate um the gravity of what's going on but also um take a step back from it and just yeah that's that's my recommendation i i haven't been able to like consume any like books or like good podcasts recently because i've been so busy with schoolwork but i think everyone just needs to take a take a chill pill <laughs> hey take a chill pill you yeah, heard it here you heard it here first just calm down hey um, america <laughs> yeah hey america yeah um connor do you have any recommendations for listeners this week <laughs> no that's that's stage advice just I mean, a yeah. deep breath <laughs> yeah just a lot of deep breaths in a row mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. okay well wonderful episode again weird because these are weird times um but we will be back hard next- to hard to encapsulate Sorry, hard to encapsulate yeah. 14 weeks of a race that we started doing this yeah. less well. than halfway over. So mm-hmm. thank you everyone for joining us this far. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Two. And we'll be yes. back, we'll be back next week yeah. with election results, more news, and we'll just keep coming back every single week to keep bringing yeah. you um, whatever it is we whatever it is we deliver. <laughs> All right. Radio. Yeah, ha- have a good week. All right. Welcome, Maya, to the Citizen's Guide. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to start by just introducing yourself, give us your name, where you go to school, what your major is, stuff like that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Maya Ring. I'm a sophomore at Rhodes College, um, and I'm planning on majoring in political science. Um, Yeah. Awesome. So what is slash was your voting plan this year? Um, so I've actually already voted because I was planning on voting early and I voted by mail because in Colorado you automatically get sent a mail-in ballot and so I just decided to get it over with that way. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that Colorado does that. I knew that they've done the kind of universal vote by mail for several years now and it seems to work um, really well. Republicans sometimes win, Democrats sometimes win. It's not not a partisan thing. Um, so Maya, what, what motivated you to vote this year? What, what are your big issues? Um, so I was especially motivated because 
one of our senators is up for re-election and he is actually our Republican senator. And we have the chance of not only flipping his seat, but flipping the Senate by getting him out of office. And honestly, there's not one aspect of anything he stands for that I fully support. And I've seen like how detrimental it has been, especially in Colorado, um, because he is like one of the leading um, senators that receives money from the NRA. And we have a severe mass shooting problem in the state of Colorado that I've had to see and have had friends that have been in school shootings. So I just really, I'm like, it's time for him to get out of office. And that's what's really been motivating me. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what are you doing to get other people to vote? Friends, family, social media activism, what? Um, so I had initially intended to work as a poll worker. However, even in, I wanna say like September, all the positions were filled, which is awesome. Glad to hear it, but um, kind of disappointed because I wanted to help out. But I've just kind of been helping with, especially with my family, we actually just moved. So it's making sure everyone had like their voting registration up to date and like had their ballot getting mailed to the right place and everything. And I've been posting like on my Instagram story to inform people of deadlines um especially like uh local deadlines that are super important for when to register and how you can register and um I have the link to register to vote in my Instagram bio so <laughs> really just trying to get everyone as many people registered as possible yeah that's great Colorado like you said is just such an important state this year especially for the U.S. Senate there's such a big mm -hmm. opportunity to have John Hickenlooper represent Colorado in the Senate he was um, a two-term governor, so I'm sure Coloradans are super excited about him. Um, well, thank yes. you, Maya. We we super appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your your perspective, and and thank you for all the work you're doing to make sure your family and friends are voting. Awesome, thanks. All right, welcome, Greer, to the Citizens Guide. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you want to start by just introducing yourself to the audience, tell us where you go to school, where you're from, stuff like that. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. My name is Greer King. I am from right outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm currently a senior at Sewanee, the University of the South, and I'm an English and theater double major. Yeah. Cool. So what is your voting plan or what was your voting plan this year? Okay, so... Over the summer, actually, I was living with my grandmother and she knew that we would be like, we're pretty isolated on the mountain right now. We're not allowed to leave. Um, and it'd be a long drive to go back to Arkansas to vote. So I planned over the summer to do a mail-in ballot. Um, so yeah, I did that. And so she helped me um, figure out like how to get the form and where I needed to send it to and everything. And so about a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago, I filled out my absentee ballot request form. I mailed that in. Um, it took about two weeks to get me my like actual ballot back. And like right when I got the ballot back within a couple of days, I filled it out and I mailed it in. So um, I have already voted and I've checked my status actually and it has been accepted. So that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Greer. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what motivated you to vote this year? What, what was your big issue? So well, for one, like this is really small and kind of stupid, but I was 17 in 2016, so I didn't get to vote 
in the last election. So I was really excited to actually be able to vote in my first presidential election. So that was really fun uh, and exciting. And especially like living in such tumultuous times. Um, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that like with COVID and just like the state of our government right now, I, I mean, it's all pretty unstable. So that definitely made me wanna be more of an informed voter. Um, I guess, I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think any specific issue. There are just so many issues. I, I don't know, I guess with like the recent confirmation also uh, of our new Supreme Court justice, that kind of um, heightens the, I mean, the election's happening next week. So that was upsetting. I guess like, yeah, women's issues and like reproductive issues with RBG dying. I mean, like I said, this has just been a really, really tumultuous time in our country. Um, so really, I see this is this is a hard question. Like that's, that's such a broad question, but like letting, I guess my voice be heard and like standing up for um, groups that are more vulnerable. Oh, and also I guess like the Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, like was really like a huge thing this summer and like got me up in arms and actually got me in a lot of fights with my family members who believe a lot differently than I do. Um, so yeah, just standing up for voices that aren't um, heard as much as my own or like uh, people who are who belong to marginalized groups um, really, yeah, pushed me and motivated me to really get out there and vote, use my voice. Cool, cool. So what have you done to help get other people to vote? Friends, family, Instagram followers? Um, okay, so with family, like I was saying, my family and I, a lot of my family members, we differ in our political views. And most of the time, anytime we have conversation, it's pretty civil um, or we just don't talk about it. But like, I've been posting on my Facebook, just like uh, any articles that I find that are helpful, like from reliable sources or um, anything that I know because I know that I can't sway a lot of my family one way or the other, but just like getting information out there that I think is is good and not like hateful, you know, like because some people just post a bunch of hateful stuff on like both sides, which is not good, but just like neutral information. Um, and on my Instagram, like I'm constantly like updating my followers on like the things that I believe are right or things that um, I find interesting uh, regarding politics. And recently, actually, I'm gonna plug my my thrift account on my thrift. With, I have a thrift account called Thrift with Greer, and I've been posting a little bit on there too to like people that I don't really know, but I know that they follow um, follow my account. So like using that like platform also to promote just like voting, like no matter what side you're on, like making sure that you're an informed voter and that you know how you're gonna vote, like what your voting plan is and everything. Um, I recently posted a jacket, but underneath my jacket, I don't know if you saw the video, but I was wearing my Biden Harris shirt. Am I allowed to say who I'm voting for? You okay. are, yes. There's no rules on a podcast. Shirt. <laughs> yes, um, and so on that actually, um, I put on in like in the the caption, I was like, yeah, just a little like, you know, Biden Harris endorsement. And then because I put that, like Instagram was like, it like tagged it as one of the things it was like for more official like election mm -hmm. information, like go here or whatever. So using that platform a bit too, but just um, really most importantly, trying to post things that are not um, necessarily like, like hate, like I said, hateful or like 
divisive for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. Factual, yeah. factual information is, exactly, is really important exactly. right now. Um, definitely. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Gerd. These were these were great, great. answers. We're I so hope happy. those were good. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No. 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 Thank <laughs> you so much for for joining us. Well, I, thank was... you for thank you for asking me to be on this this world renowned podcast. I'm very <laughs> excited uh, to be featured. <laughs>